Hello, and welcome to The Bull Street Podcast. I'm Tim Kurtz. This podcast was designed to equip you to know Christ and tell of His amazing grace between Sundays. For more information about our church, please visit bullstreet.org. I am joined this week in the studio, my good friend, Pastor Kendall Cleveland. Kendall, thank you for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. So we've been in this series where we are trying to intellectually equip our people to know how we can think about the trustworthiness of Scripture. We love Scripture. We treasure it. It is our authority week in, week out. But yeah, we're addressing some some real issues that our culture has with the trustworthiness of Scripture. And today we're talking about canonization. So what is what is a canon, first of all? Let's start yes. there. Yeah, good question. A canon. And this is spelled C-A-N-O-N. So mm. not like the C-A-N-N-O-N, the canon that shoots shoots uh, people. So that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> good to know. So yes, canon comes from a Greek word, and it relates to the idea of a standard or like a rule, like okay. a ruler. And that standard is uh, what was used to basically in building uh, figure out um, the different measurements for different things. And so when we're talking about canon here with respect to the biblical books, we're talking about the standard of which books were actually allowed in the authoritative set of texts that we understand as scripture. Okay. And so when we say canon, we're talking about all of those authoritative books that we recognize as scripture from God. Okay, that's helpful. So we have 66 books in our canon. Mm-hmm. Um, how did we get those books? How did we end up with those 66? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, and that's that's why we're here. The, the main question that has to do with canon is, uh, so were these books, a lot of people understand uh, from popular films and popular novels and things like that, that uh, the canon really was a later set of collection of books that a number of kind of corrupt bishops way in the fourth century, like 400 years after Jesus lived, got together under the authority of this pagan emperor, Constantine, and they came together at the Council of Nicaea in 325 and said, okay, what are the books that are going to help us politically the most? Hmm. So what are we going to basically pick to say, now these are the final uh, authoritative books that we will now have to govern our churches by? Hmm. So that's kind of the popular view as to how the canon, that these particular books got selected in the beginning. It also um, reminds me of kind of just particularly today, kind of uh, the postmodern kind of critical theory, we look at things and assume, oh, well, it's the people right. who were in power who got to tell history. Right. That yeah. I feel like I've heard that as well, of just like, mm-hmm. well, those were, the, those were the bishops at the time. These were the ones that they liked. Right. And so they picked these and not, not other books. Right, but, yeah. yeah. No, and that's right. And the historical accurate part, historically accurate part of that kind of popular view is that it was in 325 when this the collection of books were were stated in one of the first ecumenical councils that okay. says that it is these 66 books, uh, the books that we have in our in our scriptures today, our New and Old Testaments, uh, when they confirmed that. And so that's that was a moment uh, in time when those were confirmed. Mm-hmm. But the, the issue, though, is that historical view that it was only at that time when these were confirmed is completely uh, 
not, it's completely ahistorical. It's mm. not a truth. The reality was that we have been recognizing, the church, I should say, has been recognizing these books, especially from, from Jesus's time before the, the Old Testament was understood. Mm. Uh, and so Jesus refers to the Old Testament, the, the canon of the Old Testament was understood a long time uh, before Nicaea, certainly, and mm -hmm. before even Jesus's time. So that was that's kind of a moot point at this point. The main question that most people have nowadays is what about the New Testament? Yeah. What about those uh, historical texts that describe Jesus? And what about Paul later on and things like that? And so those are the, the main questions relating to canon that uh, seem to come up often. The, the issue, though, is that it was not in 325 when these were just finally assumed or these were finally concluded. We've, the, the earliest texts that we have, New Testament descriptions of Jesus, are, I should say, first century uh, texts of Jesus, are actually the ones that we have included in the New Testament. Mm. So the very earliest accounts of Jesus are the ones that have been recognized uh, for the longest. So we are able to date these different these different books, and the next earliest sets of writings from the second part of the the first century, uh, they all wrote things that were theologically in line with those earliest books. Okay, um, and so really, what we're saying here is that the very earliest books that we can have of the historical Jesus are actually included in the canon. Mm -hmm. Later books, like from the second century, from the third century, that describe Jesus, those were seen as as later. They were seen as heterodox. They were not teaching the same thing. Would and these so, be books like the Gospel of Thomas or that's right. those other kinds of titles that we would hear? Correct, yeah. And the Gospel of Thomas in particular was rejected for two reasons. Uh, it, for one, it was so much later. Okay. Everybody understood that it was a later document. Number two, it had a lot of teaching that was contradictory to those earliest first century documents mm. that, that are our four gospels. Mm. So that was the reason that it was rejected in particular. And so the, in short, we, the church has been recognizing the vast majority of the texts uh, that we have in our New Testaments now since way before 325 at Nicaea under Constantine. Gotcha. And so the historical understanding that, okay, it was finally confirmed at Constantine's uh, council is simply not true. That was more of a affirmation, confirmation of what had been held exactly. for the previous centuries. Correct, exactly. What was the need for the Council of Nicaea? Like, why, why did that happen. Yeah, it, the primary reason for the Council of Nicaea had to do with the doctrine of Christ, actually. Okay. And so there was a question as to whether Jesus was uh, a, crea a creation, a creature, mm -hmm. or if he was actually God as well. If he was of the same substance as the Father. Mm -hmm. Was he truly divine? Was he a created being that then created everything else? It was really to respond to a heresy that was produced by uh, the bishop, excuse me, the I think he was a presbyter named Arius. And mm -hmm. So Arianism was the view that Jesus Christ uh, was actually a creature. Mm. The son, the logos, was actually a created being through whom God created everything else. Mm. And so the Council of Nicaea really was focusing primarily on Christological issues, and it did also address the canon as well. Excellent. Do you know what other kinds of criteria the early church might have used when they were 
looking at a gospel or an epistle to say whether that was word words from God, right? Not just you know, yeah, not just good. a letter from Paul, but good, yeah. And and this that question brings up really the perspective that our early church fathers had when relation to the different texts. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one view, once again, this view, the popular view is that there was a group of people who had all these different texts, and they said, okay, we're going to choose from all these, which are really the best. Right. And the perspective, when you read the church fathers, those early church fathers with relation to the different texts of Scripture, it's all couched in the terminology of we are receiving this from our fathers. Hmm. We're receiving this. We're inheriting this set of texts. Hmm. And so that that was the main perspective that they took to it. Not, okay, now let's figure out, let's choose which ones are actually hmm. part of the canon. Yeah. And so when they saw that, when they were receiving this, they started to recognize certain things in those texts that compelled them to say, this is actually authoritative. Mm. And one of the, the first of those criteria that they saw and, and that they then took to other books that actually were under dispute, because there were a number of books that they wondered about, mm. that some people said, I don't know if this is actually authoritative, and others in the, in the world, in the Christian world, were saying, actually, we've been using this as authoritative. Mm. And so they took a number of these criteria, and first was apostolicity. Hmm. And so the idea that it was either written by an apostle, so an apostle appointed by Jesus Christ in a special way to be his servant, his messenger, or by a close associate, a known associate of an apostle. Hmm. And so what that does is it gives it that authority that Christ had as he sent out his apostles, the uh, the foundation of the church in that way. And so... An apostle is an eyewitness to Jesus. Correct. Is that what an apostle is? Is there something you would add to that? An eyewitness of Jesus, but here they were specifically thinking the 12 Mm -hmm. sent out by Jesus, appointed by Jesus. uh, There were other eyewitnesses. Correct, yeah. But these were the ones that he he tasked. Exactly. Okay. That's right. Or again, somebody closely associated with with an apostle. And so whoever, it's it's a question as to whether the book of Hebrews, for instance, was written by Paul Mm -hmm. or by a close associate. Um, and so it's clear that he's, there's a lot of Pauline theology within it. Mm. And um, it has some of the other criteria as long with, along with it. But it was a question as to who wrote it. Yeah. Even now, there's a question. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons that that was, that was kind of shelled for a while, whether or not it did actually have the same authority mm. and should be included in the canon. Mm-hmm. But uh, over time, people did uh, acknowledge its, its, uh, its authenticity. Mm. And authority. Yeah. So, apostolicity is the first criterion. Mm-hmm. Another criterion is antiquity. Okay. And so, what that means again is it was written during Jesus's, <clears throat> excuse me, either his life or his the lives of the apostles soon after him, the eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. So, it had to come from that era. And again, uh, the Gospel of Thomas was seen as not authoritative because it was it was so clearly did not have that antiquity. Mm. It was written later at a later time. Mm. And so the closer the writing was to the time of Jesus in short, uh, it was seen as more authoritative and mm. more possibly included in the book of uh, the list of the canon. Yeah. You might not know the answer to this question. If so, that's fine. But uh, 
Do you know how we know how old something is? <laughs> yeah, good question. There are, there are a number of ways that the antiquity is judged, but one of the easiest is that we, we see certain writings when we know exactly when they were. They okay. either reference a, a historical event where we've been able to date through other external sources, and then we see if that person quotes a book before them. Okay. And so things like that, just so that the references between different books were able to kind of determine the antiquity or the time period when it was written. Gotcha. Style is involved, the different kinds of style that, of course, at any age will have a different style of writing. And so we're able to kind of tell when was this just in general, hmm. about the time period it was written. Yeah. Um, and uh, things like that. So it's primarily through references yeah. that are made to those. And obviously... You know, I'm looking at the first and second and third and fourth and fifth centuries altogether because I live so long after. But right. the early church fathers, you know, weighing the Gospel of Thomas versus the others, that's more contemporary to their time. So they, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we also have references to to the four Gospels that goes, goes back very early on. Okay. Um, for instance... The earliest that we have in recording uh, is in AD 110. Hmm. And so not long after Jesus uh, and the apostles lived. And in fact, it was by somebody who was seen as a disciple to the Gospel of John. Hmm. Uh, his name is Papias. Hmm. And he, he says that John actually uh, affirmed the other three Gospels. Hmm. And so the four Gospels have always been, uh, from the very beginning, understood as authoritative. And so that's the kind of referencing that we see that we're able to kind of confirm the dates and confirm really that those four Gospels in particular have been understood as authoritative from mm. the very beginning. This is why I'm so glad we're having these conversations, because it's so easy for me living in 2021 to just think, well, Jesus lived and then the Council of Nicaea happened, and then the Reformation, and then me, and that's you know <laughs> how things have happened. But um, to think, no, there's we have a church father that we have his writings that was discipled by John the John, <laughs> like that's right. incredible. And um, yeah, is 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 historical evidence that should strengthen our faith and encourage us. Do you have any other thoughts? Well, just briefly, uh, we mentioned the criteria. Mm -hmm. And so we had apostolicity and antiquity. Mm -hmm. And then there's also orthodoxy. Mm. And so the idea that there is a coherence between the, that particular writing that's under question and the teaching of, for instance, the Gospels. Okay. And so the teaching of Jesus really laid the foundation for, of course, what orthodoxy is. What is truth, true teaching? Mm. And then as... It, they looked at the other writings that were maybe questionable. They said, is this in line with what Jesus taught? Mm. And then later, is this in line with what the apostles taught? Yeah. And so that is another criterion that they used to determine whether these books actually should be included in the canon. Mm. Uh, and so again, back to the Gospel of Thomas, very different set mm. of teachings in that. And so not along with the the lack of antiquity, it was a lack of orthodoxy within that particular book. Do you know where the Gospel of Thomas gets off in orthodoxy? Like what it? Uh, it's a very Gnostic book from what I understand. Okay. And what that means is that it had this view of a secret knowledge hmm. and a uh, secret knowledge that is necessary for different people to be initiated into in order to reach the higher levels uh, and be be closer and more like God. Hmm. And so that's, that's that kind of secrecy, for yeah. instance. Uh, is certainly not part of Jesus's teaching. Yeah, uh, it's it's an open gospel. Yeah, and uh, so that's one in particular thing. And so it's 
all the different aspects of Gnosticism, which came up again in a later heresy. You see kind of different kind of elements that led to Gnosticism are dealt with by, for instance, the Apostle John. In, yeah, in, uh, in, particular. <laughs> in the Gospels. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so he's making it clear that, uh, again, uh, for instance, Jesus, the Logos, the Word, is mm-hmm. the one who creates not just some things, but all things. Mm. So John is already pushing back against some of the things that led to this later heresy of yeah. Gnosticism. And so, again, highlighting the the late date for the Gospel of Thomas, yeah. too. And also, it just reminds me of... Um, I think it's Second Corinthians where Paul is saying, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're to be pitied above all people. Right. Um, yeah. That's really that's really cool how we have those, like you said, the, the four gospels were the first thing that that we have to show. Yeah. This man lived, here's an account of this man, yeah. and then everything else is measured against that. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Kendall, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah.